find Genesis 36, Esau's generations and legacy. Esau's generations and legacy. Genesis 36. And I'm going to have Renol uh, read this chapter tonight. Seriously. You're not going to? <laughs> I'm kidding you. Only graduated third grade. <laughs> uh, Genesis 36. <laughs> These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Ahalabama, the daughter of... I'm tongue-tangled now. But now I can't say it to do me good. Anyway, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Bezamoth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of uh, Nebioth, and Ada, bore to Esau, Eliphaz, Bezamoth, bore Ruel, and Aholabama, bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into the land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Beginning in verse 9, it's going to just list out all of the different uh, family members of Esau. And we'll just let it go at that. Okay? I want you to think with me tonight about life-defining choices. Life-defining choices. I want to hear from some of you tonight. What choices have you made at some point in the past that helped to shape and define who you are today? And don't be shy tonight. Speak up. That's why I had you sit closer together so you could hear. Jeremy? Okay. Giving out gospel tracts and sharing the gospel. Amen has found a boldness in doing that. And the more you do it, the more you get comfortable doing it, right? Somebody else, life-defining choices that have helped shape who you are today. Has anybody had anything happen like that? Being 
Okay. Okay, very good. Being in the Gideons, distributing God's word. Okay, who else? Life choices that have helped shape who you are today. Russell's shaking his head. You got one? And how old were you? Almost 15. Okay. Where was that? California? Okay. See, I guess something good comes out of California, right? (laughs) Every now and then. Who else? Jim? Sure, absolutely. (laughs) Now, we're assuming you mean for the... Linda, we're assuming he means for the good, right? By not going into it, he's not implying that it was a bad choice, is he? Jim, that wouldn't come across just right, you know? That That could be interpreted either way. So what are you saying? Because you said that's all I'm going to say about it. So which were you saying? We just wanted to hear you say it. Whoops, my tic-tac. There went my tic-tac. Oh, well. <laughs> just kick it, kick it there. <laughs> you can have, yeah. Yeah, Drew, you can have it now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Never done that before. <laughs> it just spit right out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Moving right along. Anybody else? Life defining choices. Okay. When were you in Walk Through the Bible? Okay. Okay. Amen. Precept Bible studies and Bible study ministry and walk through the Bible. Okay. Who else? Drew? I'm going through several. Okay. <laughs> the pastor spitting tic tacs at you. Let me, I'll tell you what. I, I don't know where it went. Anyway, it's down there. Oh, it's at your feet. I, Got me on the track of thinking about Mary Ann, but 
I guess career-wise, was choosing to go into the military okay. when I had to make a decision what to do back in the 60s with the Vietnam era and all going on. And, okay. And going into the Air Force and studying psychology and psychiatry because that really got me into the life uh, choice of what my career was to be. Okay. If I remember correctly, you two met in prison, right? Yes. <laughs> they, they weren't inmates. They were both ministering to people in prison. <laughs> One or two more. Life-defining choices that have shaped who you are today. Ned? Pretty active what? Amen. Amen. One last one, maybe. Teaching Sunday school. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let me change the question up a little bit. Did anybody else make some choices that help shape who you are? Choices others made for you. Anybody in that boat? Somebody else did something that's impacted you for the good or bad for years, maybe the rest of your life so far.
<laughs> Here we go, Jim. What's he going to say this time? Okay. 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 Somebody else. Decisions other people, somebody else make. One more, maybe. Ed? <laughs> wow. She was in Navigators too? Okay. How about that? Okay. They don't do that anymore. Okay. 
Well, I've, I've told you before about my grandmother Smiley, my mom's mom, godly lady, prayer warrior. She had six kids. My mom, obviously, being one of the six. And when she was pregnant with my mom, only my mom out of her six, God let this baby be a boy, let him preach the gospel. Mama was born uh, back in a day where surely women didn't preach back then. Grandmother was disappointed, thought God didn't hear my prayer. It wasn't until after God called me to preach, my mom sat me down and said, let me tell you a story. And uh, God answered grandmother's prayer, just delayed a generation. So, uh, yes, yes, she did. Yes. Well, life-defining choices. Tonight, I want us to look at the life and the legacy of Esau. Now, folks, quite frankly, it's not positive. Now, it would be unfair to say that it's all bad. Okay? Uh, I'm very impressed with Esau when he came out to meet Jacob after Jacob has been gone for more than 20 years. Now, you remember what had happened when, when Jacob left going to Laban's uh, household. Esau was furious and said, when, when uh, dad is dead, when mom and dad are dead, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to kill my brother. So he was furious. Well, when they meet up again that we looked at several weeks ago, it, it's a picture of pure grace. Jacob was scared to death to meet him. But when they met up, Esau's forgiven him and, and moved on. So I think we do need to say that in Esau's favor. I also think if we're honest with ourselves, we would have a problem on a human level with what Jacob and Rebekah, their mother, did when they deceived Isaac into thinking that Jacob was Esau so that Esau, uh, so that Jacob would get the blessing instead of Esau. If you were in Esau's shoes and your brother and your mother had done that, I think that would bother you, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Now, you and I know from the rest of the Bible that all of that happened because God had determined to choose Jacob and not Esau. In fact, listen to what Paul said about that in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah 
shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So we know that whole thing, the way it played out. On the human level, Rebecca and Jacob were doing something deceiving. But behind the scenes, God had purposed for Jacob to be the one with the blessing. So what I'm saying is that you and I have to recognize God's sovereignty in all of this and realize that Jacob was God's choice. But at the same time, on a human level, if you put yourself in Esau's shoes at the time, all those events unfolded, I think you would probably have some deep resentment over what Jacob did. That's why I'm so pleased to read that when Jacob and Esau met up again, Esau extends grace to Jacob. I actually think that's one time in Esau's life that Esau is actually one of the greatest examples in the Bible of extending grace and forgiveness to those who have wronged you. We don't think of Esau being a a good example, but I think that's... That's a case where he's a good example. I also think Esau was the type of man that most men would like. He was a man's man. He was an outdoorsman, a rugged outdoorsman. He liked to hunt and kill wild game and cook it up. Uh, He was a man's man. I think if Esau were alive today, he would probably be on a magazine cover of one of these outdoor men's magazine about hunting and fishing. I think probably most men would, uh, would like Esau in, in, in that regard. But what we see tonight is a pattern of bad. There were bad choices that leave Esau with a bad legacy. It's a reminder to us to guard our choices and to guard our character. That's the big takeaway from the passage tonight. Bad choices and bad character will show up in our lives and cause us to leave a legacy that is less than what we would wish for. Well, first of all tonight, I want you to, as we think about these choices that that formed his legacy, let's think about Esau's pagan wives. If you're taking notes, Esau's pagan wives, beginning at verse 1 and going down through verse 5. Now, this goes back to what we saw earlier in Esau's 
life. Uh, I want you to look back with me a minute to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. And verse 34. Chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. But that's not all. When Esau learned about the Hittite women being a source of grief to his parents... Then look at what he does over in chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 8. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Isaac went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebioth. He takes a wife from Ishmael's family. I suppose he thinks this is a step up from the Hittite women, which maybe it was, but it was still a wife from Ishmael's family, and God's purposes and promises were going to march forward through Isaac's family line, not Ishmael's. So he still made a terrible choice. Folks, it's not without reason that we are told in the Scripture not to be unequally yoked. Nine times out of ten, an unbelieving spouse will take your heart away from God. You would wish it would work the other way around. That the believer would have the positive impact on the unbeliever. And occasionally it does. But usually it's the unbeliever who negatively impacts the believer. Folks, that's, that's one reason Christian fellowship, just Christian fellowship in general even, is so important. God's encouraged us to, to pray for one another, to encourage one another in the faith, to build up one another. How much more... In marriage, that needs to take place. To know that you've got a mate that's praying for you and encouraging you and building you up in the faith. So if you think Christian fellowship in general is important, it is even more so in marriage. Statistically speaking today, the figures aren't that great when it comes to our young people staying plugged in with the Christian faith and marrying Christian spouses and then raising Christian children. And so if you have kids married to Christians, you need to be grateful for that. Because even in the church... It's not the majority, sad to say. Well, not only Esau's pagan wives, but let's see secondly tonight, Esau's move out of the land promised to Abraham. Esau's move out of the land promised to Abraham, verses 6 through 8. 
Now, this is a storyline that echoes what we saw earlier in the book of Genesis when Abraham and Lot separated. And that didn't turn out so well for Lot, did it? Also, just like before, when Ishmael separates himself from Isaac, we could say when Lot separates from Abraham and then Ishmael separates himself from Isaac, it's Esau here who separates himself from Jacob. Esau moves away. Now, while we certainly can understand the motive on a surface level, it makes one kind of wonder at the same time. What I mean by that is that previously when the men of Shechem were making the proposal for Jacob and his family to stay in Shechem, you'll remember what they said. They said there is plenty of space in the land for you and your livestock. You can look back at chapter 34 verse 21 to see this. The men of Shechem, when they were saying to to Jacob and his family, stay here, intermarry with us, we'll intermarry with you. There is plenty of space in the land for all of us to dwell together. Now we're being told here in verse 7, because of lack of space, Esau picks up and moves. It just kind of makes you wonder if other things weren't going on and, and what we have here is just Esau's excuse being recorded for why he moves away. I just I, I don't think between chapter 34 and chapter 36 there, would, there was a population boom that all of a sudden made it to where there wasn't room. Something else seems to be going on. Well, at any rate, for all practical purposes, Esau is factored out completely of the redemption story in the Bible. Missed opportunity. Dating all the way back to what? When he sold his birthright for a single meal. And then he goes on to marry the wrong women. And now he's moving out of what's going to be the promised land. So what do you see in Esau's life? Just a continual slippery slope going the wrong direction. So Esau is thoroughly involved with the wrong people in the wrong places. The wrong people in the wrong places is his ongoing lifestyle. And you kind of know from that it's not going to turn out well for him. Well, thirdly, beginning in verse 9, I want us to think about Esau's descendants. Esau's descendants. And since Renol is not going to read these verses for us, I'll just let you read them on your own later. But when we think about Esau's descendants, initially we don't read of hostilities. Initially. 
But we know in Old Testament history, things do not turn out well between the descendants of Jacob, who's renamed Israel, and the descendants of Esau. And Esau becomes who? Edom, meaning red. Okay? As you read the Old Testament, there are really problems that develop between the descendants of these two brothers. Even if the brothers seem to have patched things up, there's problems with their descendants. And when, we, when it comes to Esau's descendants, they really turn out to be, we, we could point out first of all, that they, they become enemies to Israel. Turn with me over to Numbers, the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. And beginning in verse 14. Numbers 20, verse 14. Right, exactly. Sure. Look at, look at what's said of his descendants beginning in verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Now, where's Israel at this point? They're in the wilderness. They've left Egypt and they're journeying out in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Okay? Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom... Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, we heard, uh, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through. Lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through its territory. So Israel turned away from him. So who is this again? This is Esau's descendants refusing to grant passage to Jacob's descendants. Later on, both Saul and David fought successful military campaigns 
against the Edomites. And then the prophets of Judah were extremely bitter towards Edom for its stance in the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 and 586 B.C. And so prophets like Obadiah predicted Edom's destruction. And so there was always this rift between Esau and Jacob's descendants. Now, we know that Esau's descendants, the Edomites, became pagan idolaters. And they served and worshipped fertility gods and goddesses. And would have the little statues, statues of fertility gods and goddesses in their homes. And so all through Old Testament history, there was this, this bitter exchange between the sons of Esau and the sons of Jacob. Well, let's come down to New Testament times, to between the Testaments and the New Testament times. Let's think about Herod who tried to destroy The baby Jesus. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Last book of the Old Testament. And pick up reading with me in verse 2. Malachi 1 verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God brought judgment on Esau's descendants and on their land for their harsh treatment of their brother Israel. And what's God say in these verses? That even though Esau tries to make a go of it again in its land, Esau's land and his descendants shall be forsaken by the Lord forever. Now, we know what happened here to Esau. Stay with me because I'm drawing a line to Herod, okay? We know what happened to Esau. The Nabatean Arabs, the Nabatean Arabs overtook his land between 550 BC and 400 BC. Esau's descendants had to resettle 
in a small little area known as Idumea. Idumea. The Nabataean Arabs allowed their livestock to overgraze in what had once been the cities of Edom so that those cities fell into ruin. Again, in fulfillment of prophecy. Well, you fast forward to 37 BC, and who did the Romans put in charge as king in Israel? Herod. And who was Herod? An Idumean. An Idumean. His lineage could be traced back in part, at least, to Esau. God raised up his son, Jesus, according to humanity, a descendant of Jacob. God hated Herod, that is, he rejected Herod as king. He chose Jesus as king. King of kings and Lord of lords. See how it all ties together? Jesus can be traced from Jacob's line, again, according to the flesh. And Herod can be traced from Esau's line. Dr. Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, and finally, the tragic poetry of redemptive history is this. It was an Edomite king, Herod the Great, who exterminated the babies of Bethlehem in his attempt to kill the king of kings. The ultimate sons of Esau and Jacob testified to the significance of the path that we take up. Legacy. Dr. Hughes, I think, he gives us a great way to wrap up chapter 36 in Genesis. Listen to what he writes, and I quote him here. Young Esau could not see beyond what was in front of him. He possessed no vision, no spiritual imagination. He had no eyes or mind for God or for heaven or for hell. Spiritual realities were to him dull and opaque. He was a single-dimensional soul. Pleasure now was his guiding star. For him, all that mattered was the excitement of the hunt, a hearty meal, a woman's company. All good things in the proper perspective and place. But pleasure is all that Esau could see. Thus he despised his birthright, selling it for a single meal... And likewise, he despised his heritage for the pleasure of Canaanite women. Esau's blithe arrogance brutalized everything precious to life and fixed him on his tragic course. For every generation, the challenge is the same. To see that there is more to life than a meal or a video game or baseball or a party, or a movie, 
or an indulgence of some kind to see, as Paul put it, that the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's Paul say in Colossians 3? In Colossians 3, Paul says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Something Esau had no, no desire to do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Esau, even back in Old Testament times, had no eyes for things that are above. Only for things that he could see right then and there in front of his nose. And every choice he makes along the way is a choice to see in the, thing, the earthly things that are right there in front of him. Dr. Hughes says, do not sell what God has given you through his word, your church, and your family for a cheap pleasure. Do not sell what God has given you through his word, his church, or your family for a cheap pleasure. Jacob, a deceiver as he was, he wrestled with God. God changed him. He had eyes for things above and things beyond. Esau did not. Jacob had eyes for things above. Esau did not. All he could see was what was in front of him at that immediate moment. And unfortunately, his descendants were the same way. In fact, they ended up turning away from God altogether and serving pagan deities. Sad legacy, but it goes back to poor choices that Esau made. It's a powerful life lesson for you and me today, right? What are you living for? Are you living for the temporal or for the eternal? It's going to show up in your life, what you're living for, the temporal or the eternal. It's going to show up in your life. And there's going to be a legacy one way or the other, either for the good or the bad. If you're living for the temporal... It will end up being for the bad. And you and I can take that to the bank because that's God's word. You live for the temporal and for the pleasure of the moment. 
and it's not going to end up good either for you or your descendants who follow after you if they do the same thing. What's your legacy? What's your legacy? What story, what narrative is your life writing down? Because you can believe it, that you are writing a legacy, whether you like it or not.